Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. And this is episode 130. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. This week, I met up with chef and wild food expert Mark Lloyd. Mark has a lifelong passion for foraging and mushroom picking and regularly takes groups of people into Epping Forest to educate them all about the do's and don'ts of picking and eating directly from nature. We spent a really chilly morning rambling through the forest and chatting about the beauty and the darker side of wild food. So the Olive Magazine podcast um, is coming today from Epping Forest. We're actually walking through here with Mark Lloyd, who is exec chef of Pomona's in Notting Hill, and also wild food expert. You've been on TV quite a lot talking about wild food, haven't you? Yeah, um, I kind of, I'm one of those faces that you'll walk by and you'll kind of go... I, do I do I know? I, I, I've seen <laughs> I him somewhere. You, but he's got quite a good beard game going on at the minute. Yeah, so, um, hides the imperfections. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're actually just going to have a walk through of Epin Forest and talk about some things that are around this time of year, and maybe have a bit of mushroom chat as well because it's that it's that time of year for mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, autumn is absolutely perfect for going out for wild food. I mean, yeah. you can you can get the most simple wild food out here that you can't get confused with anything else. You know, blackberries are maybe a little bit over now because of the great summer that we've had yeah um but there's definitely slows around we've seen some you know beautiful rose hips and things this morning already and because we've just had a little bit of a frost we might not see very many mushrooms but there's always a chance in under the trees where the frost might not have got there um one thing we were just talking about actually was the fact that um foraging years ago was a bit of a niche subject in fact you were probably out there on your own (laughs) scrabbling around but now um it's become quite trendy hasn't it because of restaurants demand and yeah i mean i think when i first started foraging i think it was associated with tweed jackets leather elbow patches and you know people who lived out in the yeah people (laughs) now what you'd see wandering around shoreditch i think um and yeah, I kind of was out there on my own. It wasn't trendy, and I, I kind of wasn't trying to set a trend or become no. the the knowledge on it. It was just the way I knew yeah. I could put like kind of little different things on the menu that you maybe wouldn't see anywhere yeah. else. How did you get into it to begin with? I mean, how did you connect with that sort of side of yourself? Because you grew, you you said you had quite an urban upbringing, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I grew I grew up in kind of old sort of mining villages, I suppose, and, yeah. and things like that in the, in the countryside in, in Northumberland. And, yeah. you know, everybody went blackberrying. It was the yeah, thing Yeah, we went, yeah. yeah. 
you know, everybody went. Free it food. Was, yeah. <laughs> and it's that thing of, you know, everybody ate crab apples and gave themselves a bad stomach yeah. or everybody found a damson tree or whatever it was. And it was only years and years later that I realised that these were things that maybe we could put into a menu that people would be interested in that they normally wouldn't right. get their hands on, you know? Um, I find it amazing that people will walk by brambles and blackberries into a supermarket to buy a pudding yeah. of blackberries. I think it's crazy. Do you think people are scared of kind of pollution or dogs weeing on them or, I guess? Yeah, you should always pick above <laughs> dog height. <laughs> it'll, add a certain, it'll add a certain tang to the berries. Um, but I think people are. I think we're, we're, we're really concerned, you know, that we had leaded fuel for a long time mm. and we're, we're concerned about pollution and all that kind of stuff. But I think we should be equally concerned about the pesticides and things that are put on, you know, mass-produced food. Yeah. You know, I think there's, I don't think there's ever really been a study done on, you know, if you took a bowl of fruit salad, each one of those pieces of fruit probably has a different pesticide on it because yeah. it has a different pest. So you're eating a cocktail of pesticides that individually are supposedly safe, but as a mix, I'm not sure they are. You know? So what, what would you say, like, is entry level for someone like me who's an absolute idiot for foraging? Like what, <laughs> I mean, and I really am properly city girl. Like, so what would you, what can you, you were saying earlier, there's things when you take people on the these foraging um, excursions, you try and give them like three things they can definitely identify. Yeah, so in the spring, okay, yeah. in the spring, elderflowers, you can't really get elderflowers wrong. Right. But the trick is, and I say this whenever we take a group out, is that only take what you need. Yeah. Don't strip an entire tree. No. It should never look like you've been there. So take a few little heads of elderflowers from a few different trees along the lane or whatever and make mm. your elderflower cordial or fritters or infuse them into something for, you can make liqueurs and wines and all that kind of things if you'd like to later in the year. Yeah. The other thing is, if you take the flowers, you won't get the berries. So they turn into the berries. So there's some beautiful rose hips. Oh, right. There. Yeah, yeah. We're just um, standing in front of a tree and um, we've got some bright red, shiny. So what we, what were you saying about them? You have to you have to be very careful about how you how you process them. Yeah, so rose hips are amazing. I mean, I don't know if many people will remember it now. I don't even think they sell it anymore, but you used to make rose hip syrup with it because it's got a massive vitamin C content. And at this time of year, it's perfect for warding off colds. Yeah. Um, but processing them is quite not, not complicated. You just have to be diligent. You boil them with sugar and water and maybe a little bit of apple peel or orange peel and then pass that liquid through series and layers of muslin cloth because inside each of those berries is thousands of fine hairs. And those fine hairs will get stuck in your throat if you don't. And actually, those fine hairs were what they used to use in joke shops as itching powder years and years oh ago. Oh, my God. I, I've just got this weird memory of being kids and possibly scrunching up rose and shoving them down. Not me. I didn't do it. <laughs> little insight down there. To, yeah, <laughs> down somebody's back or something. I don't know. Maybe like, maybe it was just a Geordie thing. <laughs> maybe. maybe. I, I, see, I seem to remember nettles was the one getting pushed oh God, in. The yeah. nettles was always the can, one. But you can eat nettles as well, can't you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, there's a nice, there's a few nice dishes you can make with nettles. Um, you know, nettle soup. We used to make a nettle gnocchi. Um, of course, there's the famous cheese that is wrapped in nettles, Cornish oh, yog. Cornish yog, my yeah. favourite cheese. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. The, they do one that's now wrapped in wild garlic yeah, as well, which is which is yolk. just yeah, lovely. It's lovely. Um, and that brings us back onto the springtime wild garlic. If you smell garlic and you're walking through the woods, chances are you're in amongst wild garlic, and it, it just tastes amazing. Again, only take what you need, and p make sure you pick through those leaves really, really well, yeah. because other things growing amongst that that you know aren't good for you. A thing called aromaculatum, lords and ladies, which is which is quite poisonous and will make your throat swell up if you eat that. Okay. So make sure you you always pick through things. But the most important 
important thing is, if you don't know what it is, don't pick it. Yeah. Just basically don't don't even take a chance on man. Maybe that looks a little bit like something I recognise. Don't don't do. Don't go near it. There's 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 no need to put yourself at risk. Um, it's even down to the point with some mushrooms that you know I could eat it and you could eat it. I'll be fine, and you'll yeah. get the allergic reaction or an intolerance to it. And because it don't... might not even be poisonous, but you might actually your body can't tolerate what whatever it is in that. Thing. Absolutely. And yeah. the, the worst thing about allergies and intolerances are you don't know you've got them till you suffer till you've got from them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the last thing you want that to happen, last place you want that to happen is out in the woods yeah. or <laughs> on the top of a hillside or something. You'd be calling the yeah, mountain exactly. rescue to come and get you. Yeah, that could be real dodge. Um, so what other things are we looking at then, like uh, identifiable things? Okay, so as we move through the year, uh, if we go to the other end of the year, sort of autumn, winter, those yeah. elderflowers will then become elderberries, berries, those yeah. big kind of droopy bunches of purple small berries, quite a large stone inside. Great for making jam. Great for putting into pies with other things. Yeah. Um, elderberry wine for the people, yeah. the, for the alcohol enthusiasts out I'm, there. I'm firmly in the alcohol enthusiast camp for <laughs> turning things into. I just think it's the easiest way to process things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and it's that. It's kind of that age-old thing, isn't it? It's like there's something really nice about taking something and turning it into something else. Yeah. So slows, slow gin elderberry wine birch we were talking about earlier on yeah. where xylitol comes from the sweetener you know birch yeah, wine tell will... us about that because i i had no idea i i actually thought xylitol because it of its crazy scientific sounding name was actually a, a manufactured synthetic thing no well it's actually it's actually a processed sap from the silver birch tree yeah so it's um it's a natural sugar, and it is the only sugar that I know of or have been told that doesn't react with the bacteria, natural sort of bacteria in your saliva to create cavities in yeah. your teeth. So they use it as kind of uh, a way to clean kids' teeth in Scandinavia and things like that. They give them xylitol okay. sweets after lunch, but please don't give them to your dog. No, we just said it's poisonous to dogs. So if you're, this is a top tip. If you, if you give your dogs peanut butter like I do... <laughs> Just check out hasn't got any xylitol in because it's um, it's dangerous and they'll die basically. Yeah. So yeah. yes, they will, and it'll yeah. be horrible. Oh. Um, but <laughs> obviously, please don't go out knocking over silver birch trees. No, um, there is <laughs> trying to drain them of sap. There is a fam- yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a famous Swedish furniture store that has birch sap bottles of it in their in their little no. shop. If you want to go and try it, so really? you can go and try it in there first. Ah, okay. What do you think about? I mean, so. We were saying foraging, you know, is it's now become like it's becoming like an Uber trend, hasn't it? Yeah, it's kind of become every chef that ever owned a mushroom book <laughs> has suddenly become a forager. But do you think that's because of places like Noma who've become this kind of they forage and they grow and they kind of I don't know they they got quite extreme with it? Yeah, I mean, like you know, we're creatures of extremes. We want to do everything to the absolute extreme, whether it's climb the highest mountain, swim across the ocean, find the wildest food, find yeah. the craziest thing to eat. We we don't do anything by halves. So my kind of opinion on the whole wild food and foraging thing now is that everything should be done in kind of a little bit more moderation. Yeah. You know, I keep saying, you know, only take what you need, only take what you can use for that day. And it, that's really important. And not Ooh. just for other humans to go out and pick stuff, but, but for, for the, the biodiversity yeah. too, you know? And we can't, I mean, 
it's sad, but we can't, like, not everyone in the UK can suddenly go, right, I'm going to go out foraging because there'd be nothing left, would there? I no, mean... absolutely not. But you do, I mean, I, I have seen, like, almost teams of people yeah. walking through forest in extended line, yeah. picking every single mushroom which they could find. Because we, um, we're, we're in Epping Forest now, which is kind of notorious. There was a story in the news about... Um, that they actually found some guy with 20 bags of mushrooms, which yeah. is horrific. You yeah, know, and he the... probably didn't know what they all were. Yeah. And that's the more worrying thing is that they tend to pick everything, throw everything in together, yeah. then get back somewhere nice and warm with a cup of coffee and sort them all out. Yeah. Oh, there's some, there's some winter sorrel. All right. So this, this is... A, uh, um... So it's like a tiny little oval-shaped leaf. Yeah, it looks a little bit... Got little two little sort of darts off the back of it. Yeah, there's like little prongs at the bottom. And this is what they'd normally put with, you know, the old trout and sorrel sauce oh, or, yeah, yeah, or the yeah. salmon and that kind of stuff. And it's packed with oxalic acid. So you can just see even now it's still sprouting even at this time of year. Yeah, because they look like new little leaves. It yeah. doesn't look sort of not turning. I maybe wouldn't um, eat them that close to the path. Okay, they might be yeah, a bit... Yeah, um, they might be a bit doggy, those yeah. ones. But even now, I mean, because we've had such a mild year, they're still sort of sprouting. And this is the thing when you walk into woodland. Yeah. Is that we're so busy. Our heart rates are always kind of elevated. We're always looking at our phones. Yeah. We're always kind of occupied by something to come out and kind of just stop. And just look and, around. And look around. And all that carpet of green and brown that is around at this time of year, you'll start to see things pop out of it. It won't just look like a big mass of yeah. fallen leaves. You'll start to see those mushrooms. You'll start to see those leaves. And it, I think it's actually quite good for your mental health to come you out do. and do things like this. Is that when, when you were when you starting out, is there any particular like reference book that's sort of famous for or is it is it better to get a few and like cross ref i know? think relying on one source of information for anything is never great yeah um you know there's that unfortunate story where i had to go and uh, BBC Breakfast and talk about the lady that oh, yeah, made the mushroom that. soup yeah, with the mushrooms from my died. garden. Yeah, she um, she saw these mushrooms growing in the garden and I don't know if she'd been watching Ray Mears or something and she decided she was going to um, <laughs> she decided she was going to make this mushroom soup so she picked the mushrooms, she went inside and she went on Wiki Google or some other mad website oh, and decided it was an edible mushroom and she... Because she just matched it to something that yeah, looked edible. You know, she just kind of... And humans always want to be right. Yeah. I would, you know, we always want to think that we, we know that we're right. Yeah. So she went out and picked the rest of the mushrooms, about four of them, and made soup. And um, what she'd actually picked was a mushroom called a destroying angel. Yeah, that name pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, you it? don't see many cans of Campbell's destroying angel oh, um, lying around the supermarkets. Um some quite horrific facts about a destroying angel is that half a mushroom will kill you. Oh, my um, God. And there is no antidote. They just kind of make you comfortable. It basically causes you massive kind of internal organ failure. Um, and if she'd have just checked with one or two other websites or maybe just took an extra two or three minutes to yeah. read down the page, she'd have found out the two most vital things. One, it didn't grow at the time of year that she found the mushroom. Right. And two, it didn't grow where she lived. Right, so it's it was it was obviously like a a different one, but just looked exactly the same as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it, a horrific, painful way to die, yeah. and you know, so easily avoidable. 
by if you just take that extra couple of minutes because it's just not worth messing around with. When I was looking at that, I read another thing. Um, and you know this story, the guy who wrote The Horse Whisperer, Nic- Nicholas Evans, mm-hmm. he poisoned his wife and brother-in-law. Yep. Um, and they ended up all on dialysis and all had to have k- kidney transplants eventually. Yeah. Because, but he was a, he was an, he thought he was an experienced mushroom picker. He'd done it quite a few different times. Mm-hmm. He thought he'd picked a SEP and it was something that looks like a SEP. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, is that even down to mixing potentially dangerous mushrooms with mushrooms you know in the same basket and them getting shaken about and you get home and then you sort them all out and then you're cross-contaminating stuff. Because it's touched it even. You maybe pick up a biscuit or a sandwich or something and then you eat it and you haven't washed your hands and just don't go near them. I mean, the, the classic one that everybody will know is, is the, one called the fly agaric. Is that the little ready? The red and white one. Yeah, the little... It's in every it's a children's... fairy tale mushroom, yeah. Absolutely. So everybody knows that one. Looking a bit fr- looking a bit friendly, actually, in children's books. Because yeah. it's, it, it's yeah. like a cartoon mushroom. I know. And it's in, the, it's in that Mario game as well. Yeah. makes you grow bigger, I think, okay. in the Mario game. Um, but it definitely doesn't make you grow bigger. It's, a, it's, it's one of those weird sort of horrific mushrooms that'll give you a really bad day out. Yeah. And the thing is, is that a lot of them don't taste bad. Right. They don't taste bad. They they don't have a flashing light on them to warn you. They don't have any kind of like warning signs no. at all. So we're just coming across a mushroom here. Yeah, we've just spotted one. It looks like someone's pu- has someone pulled it up. Someone's it? pulled it up because they thought it was edible and then obviously decided against it no. and just threw it back on the floor. Now this this is kind of the perfect example of what I'm talking about is that if you don't know what it is, just, just leave, leave it alone. It alone yeah. Because other things in nature can eat those things. As you can see there, it's been chewed on and this, that and the other. And it's doing a job for something, isn't it? Because I, w- I was reading that mushrooms are, I mean, they're vital to our whole infrastructure, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And the, if you do find a mushroom yeah. and you don't know what it is, but you want to see if there's more of them, the best thing you can do is stand with your feet either side of it yeah. and look out in a straight line, almost like a clock, and kind of cast out. So when you do find one that you're absolutely sure is edible, generally they'll either grow in a line along something yeah. or they'll grow in a circle or they'll grow in oh, a patch. Right. So if you stick your feet here Are we and seeing look what, is straight that one out, there? We can that's see one some there. more, that's yeah. some more. And see, they suddenly start oh, to pop out. Yeah, it's not yeah, just yeah. brown anymore. They suddenly really jump out at you. But you, you wouldn't pick that one. You no, know what that is. I would leave that one well yeah. alone. How long did it take take you before you were confident about, you know, what you were actually picking? I'm still not confident. All right, good. I'm still learning. <laughs> I know maybe sort of the 12 or 15 really good ones. Yeah. I don't know the Latin names for them. And you right. know why? Because it doesn't interest me. Right. What I want to know is, is it going to kill me? <laughs> Can I eat it? Where do I find it? Beyond that, yeah. you know, I'll leave that to people like John Wright, a beautiful mycologist that I used to work with at River Cottage, I've who's an absolute a, I've expert. I've been on a... Um, in uh, what's what's the other big forest called? The New Forest. Uh, yeah, with yeah. Him, where the ponies are. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's the New yeah, Forest. New forest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I went on a mushroom picking thing with, and he is a he knows his oh, mushrooms, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, he's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, but he, you know, I, I'm I'm sure if you if you spoke to John, even he's made mistakes over the years. Yeah, you know, because it's easily done. You know, it's so easily done. So I mean, you know, there's there's maybe two or three mushrooms at this time of year that I would say uh, you know are winners that you're not going to get wrong right. and the giant puffball is probably one yeah. of them I was going to say because we've just done a little trends thing and you work in the restaurant industry so you can give me a and one of the big trends for 2019 is meat, meaty veg and apparently <laughs> um, apparently the Covent Garden 
market traders were saying that they've seen a massive increase in people buying, um, was it puffballs, beef steak mushrooms, which beef kind of bleed yeah. when you We got them around them. here. We might, yeah. we might even spot one today. Uh, and Hen of the Woods. Hen of the Woods is another is a, good one. Yeah, because yeah. that's, I mean, the Hen of the Woods one is pretty identifiable, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and the cauliflower mushrooms, probably another one. Um, I mean, the, the I think a lot of this comes off the back of, like you were saying earlier, Noma. And, yeah. you know, Noma have really kind of pushed the boundaries on food over the last sort of 15, 15 or so years, I suppose. You know, they, they've just brought the fermentation book out, which yeah. René Redzepi took said took 10 years of work. Um, We've actually got them on the podcast the week after you. Have you? So you're in great company. Yeah. Kind of jealous. <laughs> um, the, I mean, even down to the thing where they created the celeriac shawarma. Yeah. You know, that we're, we're kind of heading more into that plant-based, yeah. kind of more sustainable, less kind of impact on the planet yeah. kind of thought process in eating. And we're discovering that because vegetarian food in, in Britain was just grim. Yeah. It was grim. It was literally, they would take the meat out of the dish and give you what was left. Yeah, or it was like a mushroom risotto yeah. or a goat's cheese tart. Goat's I mean, cheese I think and red onion yeah, tart. Yeah, of course. Remember those days? Yeah, yeah, I do. You know, or a stuffed bell pepper with a load of dry couscous in it that looked like it fell out the bottom of a chainsaw. And it's, isn't it an amazing thing that you can now go in and favour vegetable-based dishes and there'll be some of the best things on the menu. Yeah, because we've, we've, we've educated ourselves. I yeah. mean, you know, the, if you look at other, other sort of genres of food or other styles of food, Chinese, Indian, yeah. Arabic, um, Persian, yeah. all of those kinds, they, they really put effort into the vegetarian food. It's, yeah. not just, it's not a side dish. Yeah. And I think British chefs have kind of woken up and, you know, become a little bit more committed to it. Although, you know, I don't like using the phrase vegan. No. You know, we tend to use plant-based in the restaurant. I feel it's a bit yeah. more gentle. Um, and it, it certainly opened up a lot more options on the menu. Definitely. You know, especially when springtime comes around, you know, things get a little bit earthy at this time of year. Yeah. You know, we're kind of into big hefty roots and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's definitely easier to write great dishes in the spring and summer. Yeah. But I think... Um it's definitely moving in the right direction. It's a bit more balanced between, you know, for me, it's like if you, you know, if you want to eat meat, great. But if you've got that, if you've got the choice, then people might choose something different. It also gives you guys as chefs a little bit more to play with, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, we're at the restaurant in Notting Hill. We're very, very lucky because, you know, we've got a great restaurant around the corner in pharmacy that are doing amazing stuff, you know, and we can kind of... I kind of go around there and have a press my nose against the window every now and again and have a look at their menu, but I'd never ever steal anything off it. You know, the, I thought you know, all chefs nick stuff from each other. I thought I, it, I thought it was fine to do that as I long as you think, acknowledge it. I don't think we've ever created anything no. new for about six hundred years. Yeah. I think Heston and and Rene are the guys that are creating new things. Yeah. And, you know, we're kind of we're just retooling things yeah. constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose if you still got that excitement about it, though, that's the thing. I think you can tell that with food when the chef that's made it's actually really excited about it and they've kind of, you know, you can feel it on the plate almost. They haven't just sort of chucked something together. And Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this before before we started recording was that, you know, it's a very nurturing thing yeah. cooking for somebody. It's, it's kind of like showing you the people that you're cooking for you love them. Yeah. It, it's that giving yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of I mean, thing, it's isn't why, it? It's why we all became... You know, that's why I started cooking, because my grandma showed me how to cook. And then I 
I loved the look on people's faces when you would just, you just pull something out of the bag. And that was from when I was really little, you know, experimenting in the kitchen yeah. and seeing like how excited people got. And then, you know, my mom would be like, oh, come make us, my mom doesn't cook, make us that lasagna or make us that thingy. And, it, you know, it's, it's the rewards from it are huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember um, I had to cook a dish for Richard Corrigan in a cooking competition. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, and I've, I've got it on DVD at Have home, you? actually. Oh, That's how, uh, the, um, we walked. I, I brought this dish in, and I think what we were cooking with, what were we cooking with? Lambs, sweetbreads or yeah. something or other. Um, and the other bits off lambs that people don't usually like to eat. Right. And um, I, he's sitting eating the dish, and he's just looking at me, yeah. and I'm going, oh, oh no, God. here we go. And there's cameras are rolling, and there's other people sitting there. And he went, let me tell you something. He said, you're six foot two. You're, you know, built like a brick netty as he called it <laughs> he said but you create this dainty light beautiful food yeah. with flowers and you know all this kind of stuff and yeah. i was like yeah and he was like that is the biggest surprise is that you know you've got this big huge guy yeah. who's doing these like pretty little things with with flowers and lightly cooked things he went and i think that's part of it as well as to to kind of express yeah other sides of yourself through yeah, your food you definitely. know definitely because apparently I have a I have a grumpy face. My face switches off, <laughs> and it just kind of naturally and you have to looks just say grumpy. To me, but it's just my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a term for it, but I don't think I should say it right now. <laughs> what bitchy resting face? Yeah, resting bitch face. I think resting it is. Isn't bitch it? Um, and it's not. I'm, I'm just you know my face just goes to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it is. So to be able to create something that makes somebody smile yeah. is is a great way to spend your life. And when you bring people on the the little the tours around Epping Forest, I mean, what do, what do you want them to go? away with like just a little bit more confidence or maybe like respect I guess for the for what they what's out there well I think first of all you know that we're we have a responsibility if we bring anybody out that we've one got to make sure they return safe yeah um that they understand a little bit more about what it takes to maintain you know an environment like this you know no, mm. don't be throwing rubbish on the floor yeah. don't be taking stuff out of the forest don't be ripping things down because you've got a license haven't you i mean you're allowed to pick but actually a normal punter shouldn't really be picking you, you anything sh no you, sh you shouldn't be picking anything here without a license no. um the there is some pretty big fines that can be imposed but it's not just that it's just about being respectful really yeah. make sure you you know you close any gates you go through make sure you've got permission if you decide to cross any fields yeah you know don't go spooking any animals or doing anything untoward i mean the, there's a lot of people use this forest every year so it's here for everybody yeah um and you know we want to make sure that it's a, a beautiful environment for everybody to still take advantage of yeah. you know but, and, and is it like a bit of education as well about, you know, you, you might have forgotten that these things like the rose hips, like the blackberries, they're out there and you can use them. But just, you know, it's yeah. it's like we shouldn't use that, lose that. There's a thing, isn't it? I was thinking, what's the word for, because um, we're talking about Ray Mears and he's like, does he call it bushcraft or something? What, yeah, what's bushcraft. The, what's the catch-all term here for, like, someone who's, like, you, like, into wild food and fishing and... Well, I mean, foraging kind of covers yeah. it and bushcraft kind of covers it. But I suppose it's, yeah. it's all kind of falls under that sort of conservationist thing. Yeah. You know, people used to people used to go, oh, but you go out and you shoot things. And I'm like, well, I'm not just randomly shooting things. No. I'm shooting things and we're eating them. We're not, yeah. we're not just shooting them and throwing them in a hole no. or we're shooting them for a trophy. I don't yeah, believe... Yeah that you should hunt anything as a trophy, no, by the way. God, no, no, You know, I don't understand why anybody would shoot a giraffe, an elephant, a lion, any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, if 
if you're going to go out and you're going to take a life, yeah. then you have a responsibility to do as much as you can with that thing you've taken. Yeah. If that's going to be your thing, whether it's a fish, whether it's a pheasant, whatever it may be. Yeah. And the same right the way through to berries and mushrooms. Yeah. If you go out and pick them and then they end up in the bin, what was the point of you yeah. going out and picking them? And it's like a connection to nature, isn't it? That I guess you were saying when you... with I do it. I catch myself doing it and I... I actually look around on the tube and everyone's on their iPhones and I'm like, oh my God. So I've started just taking books on the tube with me now because at least I'm in a different world reading or something. But it's the same, like I go out walking with my dog and I just try and like look up and look around and, yeah. you know, don't wear sunglasses, let the sunlight get into, into you and like try and kind of reconnect with mm. the world around you. It's so important. It, the, I mean, it was strange. We were talking about um, Tony Bourdain earlier yeah. on and after he died, I decided that I was going to reread Kitchen Confidential. Yeah. And I couldn't get it online anywhere. Now, that sounds ridiculous. Couldn't get it on Audible. What? Couldn't get it as a Kindle or whatever. So I actually went and bought the, the book. book. The but the copy. great thing about the book was that it was actually the new version of the book. Right. So there's a couple of there's a couple of nasty mushrooms oh, God, there. Yeah, so so they're they? panther caps. So Ooh. they're actually really, really poisonous, which is why they probably haven't been picked. But if you look, something else has been nibbling on it, probably a muntjac or a mouse or whatever. What, like a muntjac deer? Yeah, yeah, we've here. thousands in here. So what, it wouldn't hurt the muntjac? Then? No, so this is the other thing, is that don't presume, because you see other little wee creatures have had a bite out of it that it's safe for you to eat, because in a lot of cases, it's probably not. Yeah. So... Panther cap has those kind of scaly brown yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of flakes on the top of it and opens up. Again, got, got quite a scary it. little name as well, Panther cap. So yeah. it's like a keep away. So what were you saying about the Tony Bourdain book? Oh, sorry. So, yeah, I, I, um, I went and grabbed hold of a copy of Kitchen Confidential, yeah. but it was the one where he'd written in the margins. It was the one where he'd kind of edited oh, well, like, the book. annotated it. Yeah, yeah, amazing. You know, re-edited it yeah. sort of 20 years on. And the looks I got of people for actually sitting with a real book... Yeah. <laughs> on the tube was just phenomenal it was like they they didn't it didn't compute to them that I wasn't like my head in my tablet or my um or my phone yeah I mean he was such an amazing character as well it's it's such a loss this year to kind of to lose that and he again it's that it's that passion for food I think the people we all love and the people who we get on the podcast are people who really care about let's just finally talk about I just wanted to talk about it because I found it on your website that you do this incredible kind of mentoring of school kids because I think when I was at school it was a long time ago and we had home ec classes so we, we learned how to cook at school and um, we had a we had a classroom with little stoves in and we cooked stuff and we took it home um obviously that doesn't really happen anymore. So you've got a thing called School Diners. Yeah, so School Diners was kind of born by accident. Um, I grew up in the care system of the 80s and kind of, I wanted a way to be able to give back to kids who were kind of growing up the way I grew up, single parent family, children's homes, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, And I was talking about it on stage at a food festival and a head teacher came up to me afterwards and just said, can you come and talk to the guys in our school? They'd love to talk to you. And I turned up and I, I talked to them about how I grew up and we did a little deal at the beginning that they could ask me anything and right. I would be, be completely truthful with, yeah. with them, but they had to be truthful with me. And then one of them came up to me at the end and said, can I come and work in your restaurant? And I said, no, because you're 12. <laughs> but I'll tell you what we will do. And I hadn't thought about it. Sometimes things <clears throat> fall out of my mouth before I realise the, the gravity of them. We'll open a restaurant here. 
And the head teacher kind of looked at me and I was like, it'll be fine. And we organized a pop-up restaurant. We invited 100 guests. We took 16 students. They yeah. cooked four courses from scratch and they served the guests. Oh, wow. And then the guests only paid what the food and service was worth. So if you got this narky little 12-year-old coming over going, is your food, Divi? Yeah. They wouldn't pay as much as, good evening, sir, how are you? Yeah. This is going to be the scallops with the popcorn and bacon and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and they worked like Trojans. They Sorry. did a proper, they did a proper like, kitchen shift. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just kind of snowballed from there. More schools asked me to go and talk to them. And then the education minister asked me to, you know, give a presentation. And then I ended up with a thing called Pixel. Um, and it kind of just grew beyond anything I imagined it would ever be. Yeah. But it's kind of... The, one of the nicest parts of my job is to be able to go and kind of give back to kids in schools. And it's know? amazing. It's where, you need, it's where we need to start. I mean, if you, you, you can talk in forever about <clears throat> people need to reconnect, blah, blah, blah. But if you, get, if you get kids involved, you get kids cooking, then, you know, they've got something they can take away. They've got a life skill. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I learned to cook was to be self-sufficient. Yeah. But the other, the other side of it is, is that they, what they don't get is the subliminal learning. So they're learning maths, science, chemistry, teamwork, yeah, yeah, yeah. leadership, organisation. They're learning all of these things without realizing that they're learning them yeah. and if they never cook again yeah they've still got that ability to take the process that we used over that six weeks of mm. opening that pop-up restaurant with them into any walk of life that they'd like to go into they're also learning different skills because some people might be more leader some people might be more kind of i want to stay in the background and do the graft work some people might be i want to be like customer facing you yeah. know i want to be the person that chats to everyone because that's who i am so and it's funny because fun. they all find their level yeah and once they realize that they're a team yeah. And once they realize that, because I say to them all, all the way through the day, you can have as many breaks as you like, mm. but at six o'clock, 80 people are walking through that door who are hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so you can either go out and explain to them at five past six yeah. why there's no food ready, or you can go out into that room with a load of plates of food yeah, looking yeah, really yeah. proud of what you've done. Cool. And we kind of put the, we kind of put them under just enough pressure yeah. that they got the countdown clock. They know it's coming. And you can kind of see in them the ones that are geeing themselves up and the yeah. ones who are starting to kind of go, well, I'm just going to hide behind the chef. I'll be all right in here. <laughs> Which is fine. Which is some fine. Are like yeah, that. That's the way it is. Not everybody can be out the front. Where can um where can people find out about what you're doing and about school diners and things like that? Have you got a website that they can Yeah, so at? it's really simple. All my social media and my website are real Mark Lloyd. Real Mark Lloyd, and so that's where you can find out you what you're doing on TV, what you're doing in school diners, what you're doing in the restaurant, everything. Yeah, everything's there. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us today. It's been a brilliant walk through the woods. I'm freezing, but um Should we go not... get a coffee? Yeah, let's go and get a coffee. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you liked this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd really love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our bumper Christmas issue on the newsstand now or go download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.